0: This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello, and welcome to Dissecting Dragons. I'm Madeleine Vaughan.
1: And I'm Jules Ironside. This week it was great, apart from the ending, the loved fiction that wobbled on the dismount. <laughs>
0: okay so i believe that this episode comes from a recent reread by Jules of stephen king's misery um am i correct in that
1: yeah although i wrote recently and i thought actually i think i recently reread it last year (laughs) (laughs) it's clearly been bothering you for a while (laughs) It, it stayed with me it stayed with me um it's I don't know if you guys have read it or not anyway but um it's kind of a super fucked up book to be honest and when you hear stephen king's like more um ultra offerings talked about people don't tend to mention misery in the same way because there's nothing supernatural Mm. going on um and yet i think that kind of makes it worse somehow (laughs) it's a great book it's really really good but it's also really really fucked up um, it's one of the few horror novels that genuinely made the hairs on the nape of my neck prickle. So as in, like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's bad. Kind of
0: stuff. And if you know anything yeah. about jewels.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty unflappable when it comes to that sort of stuff. And, it, you know, if it's just gross out horror, I'll just get bored yeah. and I'll stop reading it. But um, this had very strong psychological components and sort of explores the whole um, captor bonding scenario and stuff as well. Uh, but anyway if you're not familiar with misery i'm not going to spoil the fire for you but the basic plot is that the main character paul sheldon is a best-selling author but he's extremely dissatisfied with having to write the books that made him a best-selling author in the first place Um, he's always kind of seen writing victorian era romance as just a way to pay the bills but it's been immensely popular Um, but he had to pay the bills obviously while he produced his real work Um, anyway so this this is all nobody wants to read his real work what they want is more victorian era romance novels about misery, yeah chastity, it's, it's very uh character. it's very
0: sherlock holmes
1: with uh, conan doyle <laughs> it really is yeah um so he kind of has issues which you know have led him to drink excessively which leads to him getting drunk and in a drunk driving accident crashing his car basically in a snowstorm um when he wakes up he finds that annie wilkes mm-hmm. a former nurse and his greatest fan has rescued him and what follows is a gory nightmare as she forces him to write a new book one that resurrects her favorite character misery because you see poor sheldon in the most recent misery chastain novel has killed off the main character yeah Um, because he doesn't want to write those books anymore. However, Annie Wilkes is like, no, you're going to write me a book, a proper book. It's going to be the right length. And she's coming back. Um, So anyway, I don't need to go all the way through Misery to its conclusion. Um, For the purposes of this episode, all we really need to consider is that poor Sheldon has fallen into that terrible habit of condescending to his reader because he thinks he should be writing great literary fiction, the great American novel. Um, and he's kind of ceased to see the value in what he does right, and why it, so many people love it so much. Um, which is, I was going to say, which is, you know, obviously not a great thing. No. Um, but also the Annie Wil- Wilkies, who, you know,
0: we can't deny she's a complete psychopath. Um, she does have kind of one thing right. Um, it doesn't have to be realistic in storytelling terms, but it does have to be fair.
1: Yes, um, and it kind of, brings us on to internal consistency and endings so you see when Annie Wilkes says no you can't kill her off I won't allow that it's like well he could theoretically kill her off but since he's being held hostage by a psychopath who's willing to torture him writing the book seems like quite a good idea um when he initially resurrects the character of Misery Chastain Annie Wilkes throws the manuscript back at him and says no that's bollocks that's not what happened that is not how that happened you've already written it a different way Mm mm-hmm you've got to find a way of resurrecting her that is you know maybe even borderline unrealistic but that does in fact play with play to the internal consistency of the series as a whole Yeah, Um, and it's like actually that is a really good point because how many times have we read a book or an episode in a series and gone you know realistically that is complete tripe but on the other hand it's so internally consistent we are willing to continue suspending disbelief Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of endings can come off the tracks a little bit. Yeah. Okay,
0: so let's get into the topic in a little bit more detail. So I I guess we should begin at the end. (laughs) see what i did there (laughs) talk about ending a book now the first little caveat that we have to kind of get into is
1: that writing a book is hard (laughs) it's really hard it's really hard i mean i love hearing from people who are like oh yeah one day i'm gonna write a book and i'm like some of you Mm -hmm. probably will but if you if what you're doing is going around saying, one day I'm going to write a book, chances are you may not get around to it. You've got to say, I'm writing the book and I'm actually doing, yeah. i actually going to do it. Um, but it is really difficult. I mean, so many people don't ever get to that point of starting. So many people then don't get any further. Um, and that's not necessarily a fault thing. That's just a case of maybe they liked the idea of it more than actually doing it. And that's also okay. Um, but other people get stuck and maybe they need help that they can't get, etc. Um, but for all that you know actually writing a book is hard ending a book in a way that wraps up the story and satisfies the reader is even harder (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) i mean let's consider everything that you have to do with an ending so an ending has to all right number one reach a resolution which sounds obvious but like my man, <laughs> isn't there actually? There's like a famous book where there is no real resolution. The author just goes, "Well, that's just the way that life is," <laughs> and just ends it there
1: because they got bored. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of books that do that. I mean, even in *The Fault in Our Stars*, John Green kind of takes the piss out of that a little bit with the book that um, August and God, what's the main character? Yeah. Hazel hazel are obsessed with this book and the book just stops dead to the point where they actually try and find him to find out how the book ends and he's like no life's just like that you know my daughter died yeah the book ended that was it and it's really unsatisfying because one of them is going to have a truncated end to their life it's going to just stop dead and there's not going to be any more there's no sequel yeah there's no resolution um You don't actually really want that in books, and in fairness, there are a number of epic fantasy authors who've made millions off of their books, who could also do with remembering that in order to actually serve your reader, you do actually have to give them a resolution Mm -hmm. at the end of every single book. You do need to give them something. It's like Robert Jordan, um, I think George R. R. Martin actually asked him, you know, how do you know the right number of words to write for your books? and considering like his shortest book in the wheel of Time series, like words, he just goes oh well i know that i'm gonna have roughly this number of words and no. i write i've got the number of words and i no. just stop and then i move on to no. the next book and it's it's the sort of thing that makes someone who's very about structure like me want to tear her hair out because i'm like I spend all this time thinking about structuring the book and then structuring the series and structuring the whole thing so the whole thing all 15 books and all the, the interwoven novellas and things and the interwoven other series all deliver something that is ultimately a very satisfying reading experience and you're talking telling me that you write 450,000 words and you just stop, that's not okay <laughs> but anyway that's my issue I feel like we just, we just <laughs> tapped into issue. something there yeah <laughs> Tapped, in, tapped into a vein there. but yeah all joking aside really a book should reach a resolution um, certainly if you haven't got the sort of writing chops behind you or the writing background behind you that someone like uh, Robert Jordan had uh, whereby they had written to the point where wow. people would read them no matter what so they could get away with writing what they wanted I mean you don't really get to write your magnum opus until you've kind of proven that people want to read your work if you see what I mean Um, but I still don't think that's an excuse for going yeah I'm just gonna stop here I don't don't think that's okay Um, yeah
0: no I agree I mean the way I I see it it, like in simple layman terms is that a book should basically be a question an explanation an answer Um, so you have to have that resolution that resolution is the answer to the book it's and if you have a series then it might very well be like putting together an essay where you have question answer question answer question answer conclusion which ties all of those threads together but you might have an overreaching question for the entire series exactly Um, but the point is that if you don't give your readers a resolution it just feels incredibly unsatisfying and it's also it's kind of a mockery, I feel, because you've basically said t- to people um, you know you've kind of teased them really you you've you've pulled them along and then you've said, and there we go, that's it, yeah
1: it's kind of been excuse the crudity but it's been all foreplay and no climax yeah
0: or or worse basically saying (laughs) it's now microtransactions you've paid for a story but you need to keep paying for more of them to actually reach the end of this story and that's not the same as with a series with a series you do have an overarching story but each book itself should be complete each book itself should have a a a resolution a conclusion of some kind Um, even if there is an overarching plot the plot within the story should be complete Um, and and the way I mean I look at it is if you look at the Lord of the Rings trilogy when when Tolkien wrote that he basically went I want this he wrote it as one book and even when they were like no we have to split this into three even then there is still a clear sense of of, of resolution for each book
1: I feel yeah yeah you get the end of I mean because the character characters change dramatically through that book they have to because they're literally going through what is effectively this terrible war so you get the end of the first book the first book is probably the jolliest book in that series I know which really is saying something (laughs) Um, I don't know because Tolkien's really funny I think it it gets past people because it's quite stiff language nowadays but he is actually very funny Um, but yeah the the first book has a carefreeness that the, the the two towers and the return of the king just doesn't yeah and it's it's kind of it's almost a child to adult journey in the sense of you start off as you know a young hobbit or a young hobbit might be 50 but you know a young hobbit who's going on a journey yeah and they they reach a sort of adulthood a proper adulthood where they're not carefree anymore where they where what they've done has cost them by the end of the book so i agree each book has its own resolution yeah. so yes. okay
0: so the next thing um, which i feel kind of answers that answers this is related to is is leaving unanswered questions
1: yeah it really depends on what you're Mm -hmm. writing but you shouldn't answer everything absolutely, you need to leave a little bit of space for interpretation Um, if you're writing a series you need to leave a a few threads that can be woven into the next book (laughs) ideally Um, you don't want so many dangling threads that it looks like you've just cut a piece of, a, a square piece of cloth out of a tapestry or whatever but Um, Yeah, there should be a few unanswered questions that weirdly the satisfaction of a, a good resolution also comes with not knowing all the answers. I know that seems paradoxical, but that is kind of how it works
0: yeah and remember when we talk about not knowing all the answers that doesn't mean you've raised questions earlier on and then just left that thread and not kind of resolved it um it can mean things like for example uh having your characters not you know sitting back retiring or you know the the idea that there could be another adventure, that there are more things for them to pursue, that there are more mysteries in the world, that there are things that the characters, mysteries the characters encountered, which weren't exactly 100, you know, which weren't related to the plot, but which will remain mysteries in an interesting way. For example, seeing something a little bit spooky, uh, which isn't, you know, actually really part of the plot and you don't need to understand for the atmosphere. That is an unanswered question, you know, leaving room for people to imagine and to make the story their own I think is important
1: and there's also the practical consideration of yes I'm finished with this series I don't ever want to touch it again I'm off to pastures new and then in 15 years time you might look back and go you know what I really miss that world I'd like to write one more book in it (laughs) maybe seven more books exactly Don't paint
0: yourself into a corner, (laughs) baby. Don't brick yourself into a wall. (laughs) Always leave a door,
1: guys. (laughs) It's a very foolish thing to shut oneself into a wardrobe. (laughs) To quote C.S. Lewis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't believe him, he's trying to keep Narnia all to himself. Okay, anyway. um, So, uh, next is end with a twist or provide something unexpected. I think this is a double-edged sword.
1: Yeah, now when we say end with a twist, we don't necessarily mean end with a cliffhanger. That's a completely different thing. And we don't necessarily mean that it's such a twist that people go, what the hell, you can't have an Apache helicopter coming in in this fantasy land and bombing everything to solve. You know, it's not a Dex ex machina either. That's not okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really important that having a twist is something which should be foreshadowed. And there's this idea that people have, which is we need to shock the audience. Or if, you know, you see it a lot in television, particularly long running television, where people have been working, writers have been working towards a twist, and then they see that their readers or, or the watchers have picked up on what's going to happen. And they go, oh no, we have to completely change it. Um, I think that's bad storytelling. Um, Yeah, it's okay. Don't, yeah, you know,
1: don't do it. Just do what you're going to do. Yeah,
0: if people pick up on your twist, there are always going to be people who pick up on twists because it's the way their brains work. You know, particularly writers. Uh, (laughs) Jules and I have both had separate experiences with our particular partners, where we've basically announced how the the movie is going to end or guessed.
1: and it's really annoyed them i'm now not allowed to i'm now not allowed to have opinions out loud until the film or whatever (laughs) is over because i've yeah i've I've really upset him (laughs) (laughs) it's fine because he he theorizes and he goes oh i think it's going to be this i like this person for it but apparently i just come out with chapter and verse this is how it will go down (laughs) it's not good
0: it's not a fun experience so um, so yeah and I think yeah. the fact of the matter is, is that actually that's what you want you want there to be people who can pick up on that because if you have put in a twist that does not have a build up then it's not a satisfying twist
1: yeah absolutely I have to say that sometimes what can be the most satisfying it certainly seems to be the case whenever I hand Madeline a Parker <laughs> and Blackthorn book to read <laughs> is uh, sitting there and going I think this is going to happen and Madeline will quite often message me while she's reading and saying I think this is going to happen oh this person's going to do this and I'm like I can't say anything spoilers but about (laughs) 70% of the time she's right that doesn't mean that i am sat there going well fuck I've got to go back to the drawing board so that she can't see any of it coming what it means is like no this is my target audience telling me they can see this happening and it makes sense to them so actually that's kind of a good thing because I want them, you know, even the ones who don't see the twist coming um, I want them to get to the end thinking of course that's how it yeah. pans out it's yeah, supposed absolutely. to end that way so,
0: you know, ending with a twist if it's been kind of orchestrated properly is very satisfying and can be really enjoyable If, but don't force a twist that you, in order just to shock people, that's not going to actually be very satisfying at all i know for example a lot of people who were <laughs> very upset by how i ended the sons of thestian but none of them turned around and said well, no, that was did. unexpected I mean, when, went, when i went um, back and reread it i'm well, like oh
1: you bitch you literally told us you were gonna do that in like the first couple of chapters <laughs> we just didn't believe you yeah <laughs> yeah
0: exactly it was there from the Such beginning, guys. I not
1: need on this one at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Um, so the next is that you need to ensure consistency. Yes, yeah, I mean,
1: internal consistency is important at all stages of the story, as my, my random Apache helicopter turning up in a fantasy scenario um, is, is a bit extreme, obviously, but... Um, you, you've got to make it work and you, you know you don't have to be an Outlander fan to appreciate the the bit in book one which they, they've obviously missed out for the TV show where um, Claire is stood on the edge of a lock and we know Claire is a time traveller so it yeah. kind of makes sense when the the lock monster turns up and it, it's a place you saw and she's like oh you poor yeah. thing you've, you've come through this, this time warp thing that's caught me as well we're both time travellers, it's just that you happen to be a dinosaur. And it's it's a strange scene that almost doesn't need to be there, but it's a lovely bit of internal consistency that props up the idea of this isn't just a historical novel, this is someone who's literally lost in the past. They're stranded.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a big thing because when, when it comes to, obviously, um, Outlander, being lost or being a person out of time is consistently, even though Claire, you know, spends increasingly more time in the past and there are lots of past political things that are happening. Her being out of time is consistently important. Um, and I've got an example of this where something similar happened and then they just completely disregarded it. Um, And that is that the BBC, after BBC Merlin finished, they had this show called Atlantis on, where the main character, Jason, at the beginning, he's from the future. And basically, right at the beginning, he's there. His father went missing um, whilst on a, like a, 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 on a submarine dive or something along those lines. Um, And so he's gone to the same spot to try and find him. And there is a similar accident to what happened with his father and he ends up in the water and when he wakes up he's rolled up into ancient mythological Greece and he meets Pythagoras and, and Hercules and stuff like that but it's very odd but the concept was kind of cool. Um, And they played with it a little bit in season one. Like, for example, he meets Oedipus at one point. Um, You know, he helps deliver Oedipus as a baby and then goes, oh, no, when he realizes who it is. And, you know, when he meets Pythagoras, he's like, you're the triangle guy. And Pythagoras is like, how did you know I was thinking about triangles, etc. And so they had all of that (laughs) and it is a kids' show. And then in season two, they just went, we're going to pretend that never happened and the consistency just it just dropped it disappeared the story they were telling the character completely changed and it it kind of dive-bombed i think it lost its charm and it was and it just meant that it, it felt so pointless they no longer had this whole concept of a man who's out of time um because you can have a person who's out of time who becomes accustomed to the new period that they are in like we see with claire um in outlander but the fact they're out of time should be consistent and the ending should be consistent with that as well and that's just not what they did with with atlantis whereby the ending uh, with the ending of atlantis he wasn't a person out of time he was just a person from there um and it didn't make any sense
1: yeah yeah I can, I can see that that would have really pissed me off yeah <laughs> i would never watched it but i vaguely remember okay so
0: the next is you need to create a sense of closure
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so you've taken your reader on this hopefully wonderful adventure no matter what genre you're in you need to leave it's it's all almost the same as resolving the plot line but it's it's a bit more than that you this is why endings are so difficult because you've got to do all these things and most of them are contradictory <laughs> um but uh yeah it is creating a sense that you've gone through all the action and there's this moment of peace i guess so this this sense of closure this kind of i'm okay to walk away from these characters and feel that they are safe for the moment i guess
0: yeah and i mean the way the way i see it to go back on the metaphor we talked about not bricking yourself in you put in a door but you close the door guys yeah you know (laughs) you're leaving the house close and lock the door make you need that sense of comfort of the place is locked even if you say i'm not coming back to this place you close the door and then one day you might come back and reopen the door but the door does need to be closed in the interim yeah because if it isn't it can be very unsatisfying now of course there are always people who will kind of play around around with that um and you might think oh hang on what about um uh you know when you do have a cliffhanger or something like that and we've talked about cliffhangers and you'll see it in another episode so um that's a kind of different kettle of fish but ultimately as jules said you need that sense of peace you need that sense of rest even if your story ends with them about to run off on a different adventure usually it's them they go whoo right off we go and you've kind of you have had that sense of renewal repace etc
1: yeah and seemingly to contradict that the final thing you really need to do is leave the reader wanting more which we've just said no no resolve everything (laughs) leave leave a sense of closure but leave them wanting more so yeah it sounds like we're asking a lot and to be honest endings do ask a lot that's why they're so Mm -hmm. difficult that's why many famous authors have a reputation for not being able to end their books because you know they're doing their best guys honestly um but, it, you know, to go back to C.S. Lewis, it's a case of, no, you're shutting the wardrobe door behind them and now you've got the four Pevensey children explaining to the professor why they lost the fur coats from the wardrobe. And the professor's saying, OK, you may well get called back to Narnia at some point, but don't go looking yeah. for it. And it's, it's that idea. It's the case of, yeah, they, they clearly had wonderful adventures and they, they kind of want to go back, because you would. Um, but at the same time, it's like, it'll happen when yeah. it's when it's ready to happen and kind of thing. i think
0: the, this is the thing where you know as we mentioned before everyone's kind of going to actually have you know different mileage we always talk about people having different mileage um where some people will feel no i've not actually been left enough to want more um or some people feel no this is enough and it kind of gets me feeling excited not in a weird way um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, (laughs) whatever you read. Um but I you know, I've had several occasions where I felt like, no, actually, you have closed the door too firmly. Um and even if you are leaving, even if you have said, Right, I'm I'm going, um you have not actually left us with enough to just feel excited for the story to continue just for us for us to want the story to continue which is what you ultimately want um and everyone's gonna have different mileage for that i think a really good example of that for example uh is if we look at the full metal alchemist series the ending for some people um was very satisfying they felt they were very happy with it and ultimately i was happy with it but i was kind of i kind of felt that it was too complete and i didn't like the fact that spoilers for anyone who hasn't read or watched it um edward elric loses his alchemy and for me that was just too much that was a, a nail in the coffin and it just meant that i felt well the story's over and even if they said oh we're gonna give you a whole sequel i wouldn't want it i've kind of actually just sort of feel like oh well i don't really want to know any more about this because it just feels too much very much like the end i can't continue imagining it etc um but that, is, that demonstrates different mileage. And again, that's yeah. also why some people will say, yeah, I love the ending of that book. And others will say, I hated it. <laughs>
1: um, so basically, ending a book yeah. is a tall order. So Before but, you consider the fact that you're never going to please everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to look
0: at a few examples um, of books and films that people loved except for the ending and um, we're going to discuss whether we agree with that and perhaps what we might have done differently bearing in mind again that Everyone has different yeah. mileage. <laughs> so, we're not saying we know best. Uh, we're just exploring why certain endings don't feel like they fit for some yeah. people. Yeah, um,
1: we should point out, obviously, in fact, we probably should have pointed out at the beginning um, we've done an episode on disappointing endings um, in the past. It was one of our first episodes, I think. Um, that was more about yeah. endings that ruined the entire book or series because they were so disjointed. Um, this is more <laughs> about the piece of fiction being great but just kind of not sticking the landing (laughs) It just petered out just well no no some of them violently went you could tell with okay I don't want to go off on a tangent but you could tell with some books from that episode um, that the author had just got so sick of what they were writing they wanted to torpedo the entire thing (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, which is never yeah. never good I mean, you mean maybe you're sick of writing it but your fans aren't sick of reading it so please please try and give them a, a satisfactory resolution even if you never want to write anymore in that series yeah
0: okay let's look at a few examples and um, we're going to stop in with one of uh, Jill's favorite authors um mr stephen king um and his book the tommy knockers
1: yeah it's so okay look Stephen King has got a reputation for not being able to end a book (laughs) he he genuinely had it's such a thing that when he made a little cameo appearance in the fairly recent in fact it's probably about five years ago now adaptation of Doctor Sleep um it was even an inside joke in the film it's like oh the book's great apart from the ending apparently that guy just can't get anything right kind of thing which which made me absolutely roar with laughter in the cinema and i'm guessing i was the only like mad stephen king fan in the film because everybody else just kind of looked at me everyone everyone like including the people who were with me kind of like why was that so funny and it was like but stephen king do you understand anyway aside from me showing myself off in public like that um i'm but because he writes such great books with such well developed characters and things even when I don't necessarily like the book I didn't really like The Shining mm. the book to be honest um, I'm actually willing to give him more leeway because I'm like I think it's not that you didn't know how to end the book I think it's a case of the way you chose to ending it is not necessarily yeah. how I would have chosen to end it <laughs> that being said The Tommy Knockers, which is a, quite a tome it's a huge book about the same size as it i think and it's basically this small town place where um you've got one you've got a writer who she writes westerns and she's got serious writer's block and there's other people Mm. in town you've got some shit going on and it's a real look at the sort of small town mindset and everything Mm. which is something Stephen king does very very well um except that something has been dug up nearby and people are starting to change and you realize it's an alien artifact and um, they are in fact everyone is is changing so they go through this kind of unlimited type thing where suddenly they become the best most competent versions of themselves and then the things they can do stop mattering to them because they've they're becoming something else that isn't really human anymore and it's just that went off on such a tangent towards the end i got i got there and i was like why did i just read like 800 pages (laughs) of this (laughs) that this just did not answer any of my questions and it has to be said stephen king has said himself he's a discovery writer when he's tried plotting and planning a novel when he's got to the end he's never been fully satisfied with the result he likes to do the whole Mm. he can draw the snowflake in one go thing which yeah. you know not many not many writers can not many writers are stephen king about pretty much any stephen king is stephen king yeah so um <laughs> it's it, it's one of those things where you cannot pin necessarily traditional writing techniques on this guy any more than you could on say neil gaiman or margaret atwood or a bunch of other people mm-hmm. um but it was still a case of was this during the years when you were really really into cocaine because it kind of reads like it might have been <laughs> <laughs> and no aspersions because you know what everyone goes through their shit and you know being a massive creative can be a heavy burden sometimes people look for escape through drugs and alcohol and it's not great it happens a lot there's a reason you know yeah. that the alcoholic writer is kind of a, a, a trope yeah but <laughs> yeah, I I didn't like it and I, to the point where I just kind of went, I'm not going to reread that one and got rid of the book, um, which is unusual for me with Stephen King. So, so yeah. But then I've seen other people who've said, oh, this is a little known gem. Why doesn't the Tommyknockers get more press? And I'm like, because of the fucking ending, <laughs> <dude."> <laughs> uh, Having said that, I've had other Stephen King constant readers that's what his fan club called they're the constant readers um which is actually a misery reference (laughs) see this is how much of a king nerd i am um and very politely say that they've loved the tommy knockers and they've loved the shining and they don't like the way he ended the stand and they don't like the way he ended it and i'm like those are two of my favorites and they are perfect there is not a goddamn (laughs) thing wrong with those books (laughs) which is obviously not true both those books have flaws but they're still fucking fantastic yeah um and there's, there's been other things as well so this is where we're in the it's your mileage may vary but there are some and there are other books that he's done where you just look at it and you think what were you thinking I genuinely cannot see the reasoning there I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying you've gone on a yeah. journey I can't <laughs> follow you <laughs> Where where are you going <laughs> I've been following the map the whole time and
0: <laughs> you are off somewhere different <laughs> you're in orbit now it's like, what? you're on a different dimension yeah um, what do you think you would have changed
1: I think what I would have changed was I would have had one or two people from that small town yeah. not completely change not completely change back either but not completely change and have some sort of resolution for the whole thing Mm. i didn't feel it was really resolved and i didn't necessarily like the whole them losing their entire grasp of humanity side of things because they just finally dug themselves out of this this massive sort of hole of poverty and being stuck and being being everything else um and i guess what it felt like the thing is in life you don't necessarily get what you deserve because what you deserve is is really up for grabs Mm. in terms of you know a philosophical question um so in books things can happen just because or because we do have this inherent and biological evolutionary sense of justice as a species so we do kind of like to see that reflected in fiction um so hmm. i think what i really was looking for was some fairness <laughs> and it didn't feel fair so i'm going i'm back to annie wilkes here i'm like it's not fair you can't do it like that and i yeah. guess that was that which, was where i was at which definitely but also isn't fair for different reasons
0: uh, <laughs> yeah but i i, I, I honestly i feel <laughs> like you're, you're tapping into something here which we're probably going to see in terms of all of the other books that we'll discuss in a minute which is patterns you know we like patterns Um, and fairness and justice and things like that they do operate in the same way which is it's the cause cause and effect which is a pattern we like you know that if you've gone down this route this is what this is going to be the result um, because that's a pattern that we see all the time, particularly growing up, fairy tales, etc. Um, and it's the pattern that we want to also live by. So patterns, I think, are very important in 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 fiction. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to the next one, which is *Mockingjay* by Suzanne Collins. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah. See, this th- there's a very specific bit with *Mockingjay*. Um, I think a lot of people found if if they got all the way through the trilogy found mockingjay a bit more challenging because suddenly this is very much a political maneuver Mm. this isn't this isn't teenager overthrows a corrupt government which we see in so many young adult books in quite a facile way in a lot of books um which you know is fine it's just escapism but it's not necessarily playing to the realities of the world as we Mm. know it um where it's a case of no you it, it's not enough for you to just go in and overthrow a corrupt government you need something to replace it with and you need to do it in a way that wins the hearts and minds of the people because you cannot afford to absolutely slaughter yeah. everyone there is no point being king of the ashes um, and mockingjay does that really well what really fucks people off with mockingjay is that primrose dies at the end and she dies in what is essentially a trap set by that you know the rebels yeah. own side Um, which katniss has kind of like turned a blind eye to gail's sort of fascination for this sort of thing and it's the sort of trap that would you know i think it's still an issue actually but when i was out in south africa they were kind of like you don't stop your car for anyone even if it looks like they're in trouble because a lot of people um are getting carjacked because they're stopping to help people and it's kind of like the the wounded poor routine where they're actually not hurt there's nothing actually wrong they're trying to steal your car and everything else and so they yeah. might just leave you for dead at the side of the road it, it's too dangerous to stop and help people in mockingjay it's the same thing it's playing on that very natural sense of empathy and sympathy whereby you bomb them once in order to injure people not to kill them to injure them because injured people are more of a distraction and they are more of a liability yeah. than people who are dead once you're dead that's it you know, it's not great, but you know, you're dead. You're not gonna you're not gonna pull at people and shout and, and beg for help. Um, mm-hmm. which is what the, the injuring bomb was designed for. And then there's a pause and the medics run in. The medics are from Katniss's own side and they're helping anyone. They're helping anyone because they're basically humanitarians, and it's like, Well, it doesn't matter which side you fought on, yeah. we will treat everybody because you're injured now. And then they bomb again and they take out all the medics and primrose who's very very young has been put on the front line and she should not have been there and she dies and people hated it because the reason katniss sort of overcomes Mm -hmm. her her learned selfishness and her learned ruthlessness is by throwing herself into the hunger games instead of her sister to protect her sister and they felt that the entire trilogy becomes pointless at that in interlude because Primrose's death yeah. and Katniss has been doing everything to save her sister, but it's it's not quite true because the entire cause has grown beyond Katniss's initial impulse to protect her. Yeah, family. it's it's
0: a very interesting thing. Do because see what people are getting at? Th- it has me divided, um, and on the one side, I understand that I feel like if the first book had ended with Primrose's death, that would have been incredibly unsatisfying um because you kind of would have feel felt it, it would have been a, a great betrayal i think and but that's not what happens and i think the the nice thing is that you can actually just read the first book and it and finish it there if you wanted to but the subsequent books are an examination in the same way that the first one was they are an examination of social issues and It kind of feels right that Prim should die because it is the perfect way to actually illustrate the whole point that Collins was trying to make about war Um, and about the fact that this is how we understand there are consequences on both sides, that war is never going to be 100% easy, simple, the just against... The unjust, etc., um, and that cruelty can end up happening on both sides. Something which, you know, particularly in your teenage years and as you get into sort of being a young adult, people want simple answers. And Collins is pointing out the fact that you don't get them. And you would not have had that impact unless Prim died. Because if it was just some unnamed characters, even if it was medics, you- that wouldn't have hit it would not have hit prim dying and therefore kind of demonstrating this this idea of the whole reason katniss is even in this situation her dying kind of for me brings about the whole concept the whole theme that collins was was weaving throughout uh, which is that very often in war people say i'm going to war for my children i'm going to war to protect my country um And that can actually also then result in the people of the country suffering. For me, it brings it to life.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think it also ties in with the the subplot. Everyone calls it a romantic subplot, but it's really not, because Katniss is never choosing between Gail and Peter. She's choosing between the Katniss who wants to live a better life, be a better person, and try and live peacefully and pull back her her slightly Mm -hmm. more violent urges and the Katniss that is full of fire and wants to burn everything down um to hell with the destruction and it's like her last scene with Gale is Gale saying it was Primrose's death wasn't it that's what meant I didn't have a chance and Katniss kind of looks at him and said it's almost incidental really that it was Primrose that you killed that what you were doing was essentially a war yeah. crime. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here. But it's like if you're the sort of person who is okay with that and is okay sleeping at night with yeah. that, then we are not good for each other. And you are not good for me, and I don't yeah. want to be with you. So yeah, I mean I do get annoyed when I see people saying, Oh yes, it's this dystopian thing and it's a love triangle. I s it's really not. It's Katniss trying to decide who she's going to be. I mean, she's yeah. a sixteen year old girl for God's sake.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: Okay. <laughs> so I wouldn't change that ending. Um even though the first time I read it I was gutted. I really genuinely was.
0: Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to
1: <laughs> It's a con- this is okay, go ahead. But this is basically a contentious one and it's not picked for being contentious because <laughs> I genuinely think there's some interesting exploration here.
0: Yeah. Um so the Witcher season
1: 3 so we're not talking about the games, we're not talking about the books, we're literally just talking about the Netflix series. Um, yeah. I... Honestly, I kind of enjoyed the first half. I just felt that the second half wasn't internally consistent with everything else they'd set up, I think, is where I, I would go with that one.
0: Yeah, I. it was very strange, um, because I, I really don't know why they decided to first of all do the divide there to to even have it there and to be honest this was always going to be a challenge in terms of that part of the story um particularly because um of the way they'd set everything else up so the kind of story that they were going to end up telling and on the one side i think that the second half was basically netflix having a feel on how people would feel with uh siri as a more central main character um I think as part of the balance of the fact they were about to lose one of the big draws um, in terms of Henry Cavill. Uh, But also, it was always going to be challenging to tell that version of the story with Ciri. So there's lots of things. We'll talk about Geralt in a minute, but I just want to talk about Ciri. Because Ciri has this whole journey, obviously, in the second part where she's running around the desert. Um, And that was always, always, always going to be a challenge. But I think one of the big things... Which was in some ways unavoidable, but which actually really affected the ending was the fact that in the books, Ciri is still a child when this happens to her. When she gets thrown into the desert, she is a child. She is not some badass witcher. She has started doing some training, but she she does she is nowhere near the the skill level that she's at in in the in the TV series. Okay, she's a child. And one of the big things that you feel when you're in this kind of situation where she's desperately trying to survive in the desert is that you are very scared for her because you genuinely feel that she... She's not ready to be on her own. She needs guidance and most importantly you know she needs an adult she's a child she's absolutely not ready for this and so there is this this whole kind of theme of of actually this desperation this need to get to her um does kind of feel very sort of tied in uh, but of course in the series she's not a child she's an adult and she they have made her incredibly skilled they've kind of made her this big badass and so that fear which should be present isn't really present in the same way and so that's one of three strands i feel that ha- really let down Um, the second half of season three. Um, And it was in some ways unavoidable. Uh, Now, if they'd gotten the other two strands right, I think it would have been okay. But unfortunately...
1: (laughs) Yeah. It just felt like somebody completely different had written the second half of that season. Um, And I I realised that some of it is... It's very difficult. It's a chicken and egg situation as to say whether... Henry Cavill saw where it was going and said, Thanks very much, but no thank you. And so they changed it, or whether they changed it. And he said, Thanks very much, but no thanks, because they, they yeah. changed it. But they're clearly edging things to try and make Siri a showrunner for this, um, which I think they could have earned in another two seasons, but I don't think they've earned for the state it's in at the moment. Yeah. But of course, the actress, who is doing a fantastic yeah. job of the character, by the way. Um, is not a child and the thing between yeah. seasons is that children will grow up so she's a young woman now very obviously so they've had to change a few things just from sheer practicality but that doesn't mean that you then start edging your powerhouses like Geralt and Yennefer to the side yeah. to make Siri the main character because I just I don't think it's been earned in story terms so that's kind of what didn't work for me there but there are a few other things where I'm just like this is okay, it's better than not watching something fancy, but a lot of this is kind of a bit bollocks when you compare it to the the first season and the second season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the, the other things is that, first of all, there was a massive imbalance between the number of episodes in part one and part two which kind of made it very odd um and obviously again in terms of the plot they were in a bit of a sort of a corner because you do have this whole thing where Geralt has been incredibly badly injured um and does have to have this recovery but of course his recovery wasn't made really that much into a story they also introduced you know two of the big characters for the next part of Geralt's story um, include Cahir, I think his name is, um, who they've completely messed with his story, so I don't know what the hell's going on there. Um, and also um, the uh, the druid... No, not She's not a druid girl, but the girl he meets there, the elf, I think she is. Um, th- they've completely kind of messed around with it. And if it was me... And and this is going to sound completely contrary to everything we've just said. I would have stopped season three at where Geralt was injured. Or I would have said, right, I'm going to dedicate several episodes to his recovery and dedicate more time to his recovery as an emotional story plot. You know, um, because I understand they wanted to get the best of Cavill. And Cavill did an amazing job, with what he had um but in terms of the story it felt really really odd and they wanted to end it on right i'm going after siri and stuff like that um as this kind of cliffhanger but really they should have ended it with him getting him getting injured and siri getting lost and then done that whole thing as the beginning of the next season
1: yeah it, it was just weak storytelling and a lot of that weak storytelling was because yeah. they were edging Geralt to the side which again it may have been unavoidable or maybe it was avoidable and but it was just the whole thing with um the mm. the sorceresses as well I mean you that that entire storyline wasn't particularly well well brought out and they have action sequences there that literally made no sense whatsoever.
0: Yeah, it, it was very much, uh, we seem to, you know, we're, we're limited on what we can get uh, the witches, uh, sorry, you know, the sorceresses to do. Um, very in, inconsistent. Really odd. Um, just plain weird i think in lots of ways and one of the weirdest things of course is that obviously it ends with the brotherhood has disbanded because of what's happened um and that this new you know like is it the cabinet or whatever this new collection of of kind of witches and sorceresses are coming together um now in terms of the books yennefer is not a member of that no um and one of the, you know, they've kind of sidelined Philippa, who plays a big role in that, and they've kind of just gone yeet and thrown her out the window Um, and they've kind of sort of nailed Yennefer into that particular situation which, again, it feels like what you were saying before, they are sidelining their two biggest sort of draws and trying to concentrate more on um, Ciri and this is one of those situations where I think the changes that they made weren't working for what they have got currently, which is an adult series. Um They needed to make different kinds of changes if, you know, in order to adu- uh, uh, adapt to that. But ultimately it just felt very strange in the way that it was left off. I didn't enjoy part two
1: yeah and and they i suppose the other thing and maybe this is inconsequential in terms of the whole story but they finally seemed to be doing something with Yaskia, and then it got cut dead they're like for fuck's sake use him don't use him shit or get off the pot guys i I really
0: i was super excited to see some of the stuff they were doing with Yaskia again in part one i felt like this is really interesting they've actually given him more in terms of the plot than they do in the books i actually kind of like that the whole thing with uh the with the prince who turns king that is playing around if they do it right i think it could work otherwise it might fall flat on its face but i liked it i was enjoying it etc um and then it just felt so messy so messy uh with the way that they kind of ended it um I I don't know. I don't know what happened. Yeah. There was so much potential with the whole thing. And then it just got really weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they... I mean, I, I, honestly, if I think if they were leaning in that direction, that probably is why Cavill went. And I don't really blame him because... If that had been me looking at that oncoming mess, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I think maybe I want to detach myself from this. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to know. He's not an actor who phones in ever. And I think if he was looking at it and saying, yeah, I don't think I can give that my all, ergo, it's time to call it a day. And he's been, you know, pretty gracious about the whole thing, no matter what rumours are flying around, so.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one of the big things, is that I don't mind if an adaptation changes things. It, it, it actually makes sense for there to be changes. Changes, first of all, that need to be made just in order to put things into a different medium but yeah. also to update things to make things interesting to etc for example I'm really glad with some of the updates that they have given yaskia with obviously Joey Beatty really contributing towards that I like what they've kind of done with him particularly in this season um, made him a, a slightly more rounded character there's less misogyny um, you know because it's an old series that's okay I don't mind that um, but you have to honor ultimately what is there. And I feel that they haven't. And one of the big problems with season three and which subsequently affected the ending was that season three in general felt like they were rapidly sort of backpedaling from everything they did in season two. They were trying to recover from all of that, get things back into sort of the plot. Um, and that took a lot of work which could which was you didn't need to do but also ended up setting up things which meant that the ending felt really strange it just seemed to spear off in a completely different direction um and didn't feel right i think
1: yeah it's i don't mean this as a slur for people who write fan fiction because sometimes fan mm. fiction can be better than the original thing but it did feel like a bunch of people went i really love this except for this 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 and this so we're going to write it like this instead and we're going to write the fan version of it rather than as you say honoring enough yeah. of the original that it's recognizable um so anyway i could pull this apart for ages and not with any like real sense of annoyance in my heart because by the time I got to the end of the first half of season three I was like this is going to take a nosedive and I'm probably not going to watch it after Carvel's left Mm. because this is not what I want from The Witcher um so I'm just like well thank you very much for two and roughly a half seasons of, of great fantasy tv and Hail and Farewell kind of thing so I'm not as incensed as so many people seem to be by this um but yeah it's just it's the lack of internal consistency it's not really serving your audience and it's not providing resolutions where you should provide resolutions it's certainly not left me wanting more so overall not a great ending
0: yeah yeah and I think internal consistency is something that we see issues particularly happening when there are multiple writers um And this isn't therefore, oh, there are multiple writers, it's unavoidable. It's no, you need to make sure that everyone is on the same page in order to maintain internal consistency um, and that they are kind of at the heart of the material, even if they deviate from it. You know, we had Hamish Steele on um, a a little while back talking about... um, dead end paranormal park which is obviously deviates in quite a few ways from dead endia the graphic novel um, that it was based on and obviously they were the team were lucky on netflix because hamish was literally working with them um but he wanted these other people to contribute to things they changed lots and lots of stuff yet consistently despite the fact they were bringing in lots of new ideas despite the fact that there were several writers etc the story remained consistent because ultimately they had a set number of rules for things that they were going to follow and they cared about the characters and they liked the original material and i feel that that hasn't happened with lots of tv shows which are adaptations of books
1: okay um we're going to talk very briefly. We've done an entire episode on this. So you guys can check it out. But the last season of Game of Thrones, which again potentially contentious, which we're not going for. Um, but I, there's just a couple of threads. I think it's worth mentioning. One of them is the end of Arya's thread, and the other one is the fact that Bran ends yeah. up being being sitting on the Iron Throne. Um, one of these things worked for me because I thought, actually, you've built it up, so this is what's going to happen. And the other one was like Yeah Where did that come from? Why <laughs> was that a good idea? <laughs> so um So yeah, yeah, Arya takes out the Night King. It makes sense for her to have done so. I know lots of people really wanted Jon Snow to do it. They wanted this big battle, they wanted I you know what i can absolutely understand that if you happen to be a bloke at the moment watching fantasy then you are consistently seeing roles where you have been the main identifying character swiped away by somebody else and sometimes it's done in a way that's actually insulting to everyone's intelligence and i am with you on that you're not wrong you still deserve to be represented okay yeah totally with you i agree but and the in Game of Thrones, they had set Arya up to be this assassin with a purpose, and that purpose—it made sense for the Night King not to see her coming. It made more sense for her to take out the Night King than it would have done for Jon Snow, who is a very direct fighter.
0: Yeah, and but this is one of the interesting things because I I agree, um, there is this whole kind of build up with Arya being the one. Who would because Jon Snow kind of also represents the sort of the Ned Stark in that yes he is actually straightforward direct honourable etc it does make sense for him you know to actually be the one who's drawing the eye so that Arya can come in and do the dirty work because that is part of her story Um, but the problem is that they then didn't actually deliver on Jon Snow's story at
1: all no they didn't that did Um, which i i think
0: yeah so if if it's one thing to say okay well i was expecting Jon snow to kill the night king um but that didn't happen but he didn't get an ending there was a whole bunch of a build-up and it felt very strange And honestly, I kind of feel that the story would have sort of worked a lot better if actually what had happened was that you had everyone in Winterfell getting ready for this attack and then the the army of the dead just passed them by and went straight to King's (laughs) Landing.
1: Yeah, I mean, assuming that would have been possible kind of thing, but yeah. That, I mean, to be honest, that that whole thing was done for visuals rather than... What visuals? It was too dark episodes. to see! I think that's kind of what they were going for, but yeah. I know. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I kind of liked that episode. It was fine. Uh, I agreed Jon Snow doesn't really get an ending. Partly the reason he doesn't really get an ending is because there's going to be a spin-off series featuring Jon Snow and what happens with him as he rides off with torment into the into the north
0: yeah but I don't feel that that was actually initially what they planned I think that this is
1: that's no they were floating at the time were they floating at the time because I, I they were floating five spin-offs at the time one was House of Dragons one was the one was Snow which is literally it's supposed is supposed to land I think either end of this year beginning of next year another one was a potential Arya off in sort of fantasy America which I think is where she's heading and there were two others as well Ah. <sighs> so they they were eye to the the next series and Martin was involved with all of them so some of it is that they couldn't kill off Jon Snow but it wasn't a satisfying ending and I Hmm. agree with that it wasn't a satisfying ending for Daenerys because they didn't give enough time for us to go oh yeah she's gone the way (laughs) she's gone the way of her house (laughs) all the Targaryens go this way because it
0: did just feel like a 180 you know turn for her character Even though there were hints towards it, and it could have been done where she did just lose it, that wasn't what they had been building up to, really. Um, Not in the kind of the same way as. Anyway, we've got a whole episode about it. Do check it out.
1: Okay, moving on. The whole Bran on the Iron Throne thing. (laughs) Oh. Sorry. Again, we've got an entire episode. We talk about this at length, but I will say that in terms of a satisfying ending, he's like the person in that group there's like one person who is less likely to sit on the Iron Throne, no two I wouldn't put Sansa there either but it's like there are very few people there who you'd go oh yeah obviously Bran's the most qualified because all his his experience with Statescraft etc Yeah.
0: did we miss
1: that season
0: (laughs) yeah It just, it it does, it feels very, very strange. And again, they could have done something with it, but they didn't have time. It was rushed. Perhaps with another few seasons, I might've been convinced, but I wasn't, so. Yeah. Okay. Right. End game Avengers.
1: Um, Yeah. I think what people didn't like was, okay, they didn't like Tony Stark dying. They didn't like Captain America sort of doing his little stint through time coming back old and they didn't like a couple of other things that happened yeah. um i wouldn't say it was a perfect film but i thought tony stark's arc made sense he's been trying to get himself off since like, the beginning of the franchise
0: yeah i the, it it was obviously very sad but his death you're right i didn't feel that it was out of place it did feel kind of sort of like it would fit uh, the problem was i did not feel that captain america's story was right and in particular i didn't feel the story was right because it totally just messes up peggy's story as well um and it, it messes up the whole kind of recovery that he's been sort of making throughout his whole journey of basically accepting he's out of time, that things have passed and things have, you know, gone on. Um, It yeah. felt very strange. And it felt like we want to give him a happy ending with this woman because this whole build up they might have had between him and Natasha was obviously destroyed because they went and killed her. So... <laughs>
1: Natasha was never with Captain America I know that was with Hulk
0: yeah and that's the thing is that they had this potential idea of her and Captain America and then they went we're going to put her with Hulk and then which, which made, made no, sense. no sense and then we're going to kill her um, and it just yeah it, for me it, it just felt weird um, and unsatisfying
1: yeah I could see why they did it but it did feel a bit like here have a cookie yeah And it was yet another one where it's like, okay, you're clearly passing the torch here. But the problem is you're passing the torch in a way that makes me not want to continue with the franchise (laughs) and not because of the characters you're passing the torch to. Yeah.
0: Um, And I can understand them saying, well, you know, we didn't just we we couldn't kill both Tony Stark and Captain America in, in that way. I can I do get that there were other ways that you could have potentially passed the torch and it didn't have to involve him just going back in time and finding Peggy. Um, You could have had him going back in time, finding Peggy and finally making his peace with that. You know, you could have done that. Uh, Yeah.
1: I mean, it it kind of makes sense because all the way through, he has been this, as you say, man out of time who is, you know, the quite simple quite simple wants you know truth justice as the American way and you know the woman that he fell in love with back in 1930 whatever so I kind of get it but it, it did feel a little bit like yeah okay we're done with you now we don't know what else I mean, to do
0: I mean so, I would honestly I wouldn't have go. minded if he actually just <laughs> him sort of would, would just retired basically went I've been a soldier now for too long but this is this is it the war is over I don't feel like I can represent Captain America anymore Um, I'm passing this on I need to go and find I need to go live now I need to go find myself I would have actually been more satisfied with that and obviously they didn't do that because they they needed him to be gone they didn't need to sort of dangle the possibility of him coming back but I still would have felt in terms of story that would have been more satisfying
1: yeah I mean, overall, Endgame's not a bad end to an era that, you know, yeah. a pretty much unprecedented era in film terms. Um, yeah. But yeah, it has its flaws. I think Everything has its flaws. Okay, um, <laughs> Breaking Dawn of Stephanie <laughs> Meyer. Look, I am not talking about the imprinting thing. I think the people who get really bent out of shape about the imprinting thing have probably not read the books they're being deliberately obtuse and they're the sort of idiots who think that romeo was actually a paedophile when really he was a 15 year old boy um so yeah not it it, i'm i'm not saying i'm in love with that storyline but in terms of internal consistency that storyline works what people hate about breaking dawn seems to be that in the books not not the film because they fucked with it But in the books, there isn't any battle. There's this whole drawing Mm -hmm. of battle lines between the Cullens and their their allies and the Volturi. And there's all these tantalising powers and things. Um, Yeah. And then the whole thing gets solved with words like Merchant Venice, which was the intention. I mean, it basically... Um, the the literal passage from Merchant of Venice is quoted at the beginning of the book, so I'm not sure why everyone's so fucking surprised. (laughs) It's like, seriously. And then it's mentioned again in that section of the book. Um, Stephanie Meyer said she didn't want to have a massive battle scene with lots of deaths, etc. And yes, there is going to be a point in the future where the Volturi need to be taken care of. Um, But in this instance, where there was the chance of someone from that... You know, nobody basically when you have two basically super-powered armies like that going against each other, chances are someone that you love is yeah. going to die. So if you can solve it with words, you solve it with words. At least for now. Um, particularly when you've got a child on the battlefield. Which people seem to be just just skipping yeah. over that. <laughs> but she's quite a robust child and she's riding a werewolf. <laughs> but, you know, come on. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> So, yes, there's part of me that would have really loved to see this superpower showdown, but the rest of me is kind of like, actually, what you did made sense, considering the story. Yeah, I I
0: understand the frustration, um, but I think also the frustration comes from a level of expectation based on what other material was, you know, available at the time, what other pe- people were doing. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the book is wrong. Um but I can understand why people are coming into it going, I've, we know where this pattern is going. Oh, why hasn't it gone this way? Because there's been this idea that that's uh, the only way to resolve a story. Whereas um, Maya was actually saying right from the beginning, that is not how this story is going to be resolved. Um, Okay. (laughs) The Mist by Stephen King. Um, One of the most messed up endings.
1: yeah um okay admittedly i mm. put this one on the list I, although i think other people share my feelings on this loads of people love this and they love it because yeah. it is essentially um almost lovecraftian horror with the bleakness where you know lovecraftian no. horror generally doesn't end with anybody succeeding ultimately it, it ends unhappily for all involved um, if you survive yeah. to the end of the end you've won but you know that your death is coming for you kind of thing that's that's what it is That's Stephen King's take on it unfortunately I didn't like it because it's kind of like the whole the mist lifts and you realize how useless everything you did was I don't like that level of existential angst okay so this is a me thing it's my issue <laughs> I would have had something if it had been me I would have wanted you know two or three people maybe to actually survive um not for this guy to go okay well the best thing to do is to kill everybody and oh god it's only me left and i'm gonna face the monsters and the mist lifts and he's like there was no need to kill everybody and now i'm a murderer and i've got to live with it
0: yeah <laughs> i've murderer, and I've, I've killed my own child yeah. um you know i remember that there's they do it very well i think in the uh you know um there's a film of it and i remember watching it and the ending where he gets out of the car he's shouting at the monsters to come and get him and then the mist lifts and these tanks are rolling in um and he's just screaming at the top of his lungs yeah um it has haunted me to this day because it was so horrific um that idea that the pointlessness and in terms of if you want that's the story you want to tell you know (laughs) you nailed it man no one's left happy (laughs) you know it really has upset and it has shocked in terms of wanting a story i i'm with you i do prefer there to be some glimmer of hope you know at least yeah and there wasn't it was just crushingly sad there was no victory there was no
1: success it was just miserable yeah so um i don't think it was the wrong no. ending i would like to say because this is very a uh, very genre specific subgenre specific mm. thing um and a lot of people say it was one of stephen king's better endings and i suppose in terms of fitting the subgenre he was writing in they're probably right but i didn't like it personally no, no, i i would tend to agree with you okay man of steel Paul yeah, cavill um, I think a lot of, uh, cavill he's getting a, getting hammered today um it's not really Cavill's portrayal of Superman. I think <laughs> What I mean is that he Superman, just keeps actually. being put into situations um, where they keep being, like, refuse to give
0: him a good so... ending.
1: <laughs> what people didn't like was the fact that Superman, like Batman, has a no-kill policy, which I think is probably a good yeah. thing if you're basically a god. Um, and he does kill Zod, and people felt that that really destabilised the entire, yeah. his entire story arc right from the beginning. And I'm like, I don't I don't disagree with that, but what else were you going to do with Zod? Because apparently, since we're not in the 80s anymore, we can't imprison people in triangles that are supposed to represent... No, not triangles, rectangles that represent a new dimension and send them into space. Which I actually thought was pretty scary back in the 80s, but I appreciate (laughs) it wouldn't have the same impact now. (laughs) Yeah, I... He was a genocidal maniac. He wasn't going to stop. He wanted to subjugate Earth, which Superman had chosen to protect. So what else was he going to do?
0: I mean, there are ways in that sometimes, you know, it can feel kind of cheap if it's not done properly, uh, where it's, I'm not going to kill you. And then the villain does something which triggers their own death as a kind of a retaliatory move, um, which we see happen all the time. And yeah there are some perhaps very specific ways you can do that where it wouldn't feel cheap uh but that is gonna be very difficult um and doesn't won't always make sense yeah
1: yeah definitely so i don't think it was the wrong ending as such but i do understand other people's criticism because this is that's a major departure for that character so yeah. Um I added Daughter of the Forest so that we're not just talking about, you know, the big franchises. Um, by Juliette Merillier. This isn't one that I think ends badly yeah. or wrong. Um but but Madeline did not particularly like the ending, <laughs> as I recall.
0: <laughs> no, I did not like the ending. Because essentially we have this whole plot where she's doing everything she can to save her brothers. And kind of, there's this sense of getting everything back together again when they've all been pulled apart for so long and the ending is essentially and now we're just all going off to do our own
1: thing <laughs> i was like for god's sake because it was that and then it was the whole thing with um, red's brother simon so you have lord hugh of harrowfield and his younger brother simon yeah. early on in her life when she's about 12 Sorsha saves simon's life and she brings him back from the brink of death after he's been tortured by her own father um, which is how ultimately yeah. red realizes that Sorsha might know as i was saying Sorsha, but it's actually Storica. um but let's, let's use the english yeah. pronunciation without um she how she would basically know something about his brother who he's gone looking for um i mean the book does a really yeah. good job of telling a fairy tale in a way that is quite relatable in historical terms and and also um the sort of difficult family dynamics and things i mean the whole brother's going their separate ways at the end is like yeah that was really annoying it's like one of you can fucking stay with her for god's sake but also they're not (laughs) swords anymore and maybe they were always going to disperse like that but it is still very annoying particularly finbar's story because when i first read it other books didn't exist yet and you're like does finbar get a happy ending did he drown himself in the lake what happened you know yeah (laughs) it was not cool um Uh, so yeah generally I like the way it ended and I really really like that book it's one of my favourite books but I do understand Madeline's perspective on this
0: one yeah Um, it just it didn't quite tickle me Um, but like we say that's different mileage I do want to mention one more um, which is one that Jules and I have both read recently which is Flower Heart by Catherine Bakewell uh, which is a a very cosy fantasy um which i i thought when i started it that it was for middle grade and then i was like what age is this for so yeah that same <laughs> that kind of threw me a little bit but we both liked the premise there was some really good kind of idea that ideas there it was very cozy neither of us liked the ending entirely
1: um Ooh no it's something just a bit unsatisfy i think it felt like it was leading in a direction that it then abruptly just didn't take
0: yeah and maybe you know there is going to be another book that follows it but even so um one of the characters loses their powers i'm not gonna give spoilers but essentially one of the characters loses their powers and by the end really they should have gotten that back and they didn't and it felt very odd um I didn't like the decision, I didn't like the the direction it went in. Um and it's not just me going, oh this character deserved better. Because first of all, I do feel that they did. But second of all, there was this this whole kind of theme and idea that was being introduced, which then was never really resolved in a way that felt satisfactory.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So
0: very briefly because uh, we are we're running on a bit. Um, we're going to very quickly talk about how you can end a story. Um, and I'm going to begin by saying that I feel that there's four elements of a satisfying ending, which are resolution, transformation, suspense, and surprise.
1: Yeah, so obviously we've talked about resolution in detail but basically you should the reader should get to the end and feel that the question has been answered yes transformation basically we're back to kind of the hero's journey here so the character whatever the character has undergone in the story should have profoundly changed them yes there are exceptions to this rule but generally that's what you're aiming for yes
0: that doesn't always mean that it's changed them for the better by the way guys Yeah, yeah absolutely uh you need to have suspense as well um
1: yeah absolutely you can't have i mean yes you may have readers going i know what's coming but they should be going i know what's coming and i can't wait to get there not i know what's coming I, I just yeah. think of it for example the... if you order something at yes, a I
0: restaurant do. you can still be excited for the food to arrive even if you know it's coming guys <laughs> yeah um, and then yeah, in total contrast perhaps uh surprise <laughs> surprise
1: yeah and obviously, as we've said before, that doesn't mean the Apache helicopter yeah. sweeps in and kills dragons. Um, what it means with surprise is like uh, something should strike your reader as, oh, that's not quite what I was expecting, but it really yeah. fits. I guess Absolutely. it's that sort of feeling.
0: OK, the next thing is that you should know your ending from the start. Have a destination to aim for. Now, I, I think it's worth pointing out that you can absolutely be a discovery writer who you know um starts something and then just kind of sees where it goes but as you're editing um you do need to consider right from the beginning where the story is going um and it is a fairly good idea that even if you are a sort of you know a discovery writer that you have a general sort of direction in mind even if that then changes um but how a story ends is going to affect the beginning of a story. They're not separate things you do need to consider the ending, even at the start.
1: Yeah, your story is yeah. an animal and the start and the ending are both parts of the same animal. Um, but I, I will also add mm-hmm. to this bit that um, I, I attended a lecture by Julie Cohen who had it was an absolutely fantastic lecture um called making shit happen (laughs) in your writing but one of the things that she said was i don't so much think about how the story is going to end although that's part of it she thinks how do i want the reader to feel when they get to the end of the story and there was one book um i can't remember the name of the title now which is really annoying um but basically (laughs) she said i want them to cry like a motherfucker at the end of this book and she she achieved that because that was what she went so now whenever i'm writing something i think how do i want someone to feel at the end of the story um so for my most recent example where wolves fear to pray i wanted people to feel uh really satisfied at the direction that uh, certain characters' relationships have gone in um, and how Harker and Blackthorne were fun- functioning, and then to have a oh shit moment right before the ending. Okay, I'm so excited that for that now. Too much. <laughs> I think I pulled that off.
0: Oh, right. I've, of course, of course. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's yes. the one you've read. Yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> verbal, Sorry, I was press. thinking of that as the next one. Um. <laughs> you can still be excited for it. It's fun. Okay, alright, so uh, the next one is You need to build tension in the lead up to the end. Um, Drum it
1: up, guys! (laughs) So literally, what we were saying: don't have a book that just stops, um, unless you're really going for that arty literary type thing. Which, okay, you only really get to play that game once, so you know you choose. But ultimately, yeah, build tension, and it can be quite subtle. But there should be clues that your reader can subconsciously pick on that say, yeah. The, the something bad is going to happen music is playing very distantly in the background and it's getting louder and louder and louder because the ending's coming yeah, absolutely <laughs> um you should also try
0: different endings on for size um and you know you yeah. might feel i 100 know how this book is going to end but don't be afraid to play around with that because you might suddenly go oh no actually in the course of me writing this i feel that the characters have taken me in a different direction Um, And that actually this is the more satisfying ending. Um, Though, of course, you will need to go back to the beginning and make sure that that's consistent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Again, with the whole leaving some questions unanswered, leave room for interpretation. You don't spoon feed your... Don't be... I'm not going to say this writer's (laughs) name, but don't be that particular writer who is so so convinced that the readers are not as intelligent as her that she absolutely hammers her point home like a railroad spike and doesn't have any nuance at all don't do that it's really insulting to the readers oh well done i try so hard to be nice Madeline. it's a losing battle (laughs) well done well done (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: One of the key ways that you can do this is to leave room for, you know, your side characters. Your side characters can feel multi-dimensional and like real people and still not have everything kind of answered about them. which is why some people yeah. can actually really fall in love with a side character more than your main character. And that's ultimately, I think, something you want. You want people to be able to connect with side characters and have that room for interpretation. Um, Definitely. Ensure that your ending makes sense. Uh, and that is both... And that's important both in terms of this kind of... what The build-up that we've talked about, but also in terms of the rules that you have set out in your world.
1: yeah yes it should be a no-brainer but you know yeah. your ending should <laughs> don't contradict throat. yourself <laughs> unless you have built up towards evoke- that and that's a twist okay <laughs> <laughs> um, evoke an emotional response so yeah you should Basic. it doesn't matter if it's happy if it's sad if it's bittersweet if it's really funny um you know whatever you, even if they've you, you want to leave your readers angry i can't imagine why you would but if you did um have somewhere to go to emotionally if yeah you can get to the end and go you know right, well that's um, over
0: then i know personally that i've i've read things that have left me sulking for days um <laughs> uh for example <laughs> the um the black magician trilogy by Trudy canavan i i s- i sulked for days and i wouldn't say necessarily that that was a bad ending to the book um it achieved what it set out to do (laughs) but i never wanted to touch any more of the stories ever again i was like i'm drawing a line here because i feel like
1: i've been hurt Yeah, I did go and read yeah. some of her other books. Um, but when I first read that, I was really fucked off. But I'm guessing that she that's what she was going for. She wanted an emotional reaction. She got an emotional reaction. I didn't go, oh, well, that's over and throw the book aside
0: no no i i completely agree that for me it was a successful ending because at first all i wanted was a sequel and then i thought i can't i've i've emotionally recovered from this i do not i don't ever want to dive back into it um it, so yeah i i do feel that she had a successful emotional response there and part of that was that she didn't cheat me as a reader so don't cheat the reader yeah. guys
1: Yeah, don't ever cheat the reader and apparently i thought the don't. whole making sense thing was worth saying twice because i've also said make sure your yeah. ending makes sense <laughs> so go. really make hammer that one home yes please guys
0: okay so well we're gonna finish off um with just kind of a, a general question of you know Jules, what do you want most from an ending
1: Um, on your part? That's the thing, because we've done this entire episode on how to end a book, and you asked that question, and I'm like, I can't give you a definite answer. It's one of those (laughs) I will know it when I see it things, but I think, I guess, I want to get to the end and feel that the story has been resolved, Mm. largely. Um, and all those other things that we talked about, I want to feel that the characters have been served well, even if they've been served in a way that I was like, you've been robbed, you shouldn't have died, etc. Yeah. Um, I do want, I don't read books just because I want something to aim my eyeballs at, I do want to feel stuff as well. Yeah. Um, which, you know, is obviously a quite a battle with me, so... <laughs> good luck guys um but yeah for things like uh robin jarvis traumatizing me when i was 14 with the open <laughs> throne when i finally thought the two most unlikely this is why i don't ship people guys okay i was hurt too badly at a young age i thought yes and vesper were gonna finally run off into the sunset together and then he literally dies in her arms <laughs> so um are you bitter by any chance so but um, yeah, I'm, I, I actually said this to him on Twitter. Someone mentioned the Oaken and Throne and the ending and they'd literally just read the book. And uh, Robin Jarvis sort of came in and went, oh, I'm sorry about that. Ha, ha, ha. And I, I replied with, yeah, it's been 25 years. I'm still not over that. And I I got another. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're not sorry. (laughs) You're not sorry. You're glad you traumatized me as a teenager.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um. I think I'm, I'm the same as you. Ultimately, I feel that a lot of the books that I have really enjoyed and that I really like have endings which are hopeful. Um. I I do like endings which have a sense of hope and a sense of there is more to come but it's not in a right there's more trauma for them to deal with though of course I will always hope that within any kind of story there's going to be all sorts of you know danger and stuff like that but I like an ending which just feels hopeful um, and comfy and somewhere that i can return to a world that i like people that i like etc um none that's not the case with every single book that i've liked um but for a series for example if a series is ending i want something that's hopeful usually
1: yeah i think honestly if you're ending a series it should feel like you've made the journey worth it for the reason
0: so i mean i've got a question then do you feel that we have nailed the mighty ending in our own books (laughs)
1: um that's that's a really tricky one um i when i normally get to writing an ending in a book i think i've never got there and thought okay that i've totally like spunked this up against a wall i I have really tried to just stick the ending. I know it's not gonna mm. really be an ending everybody loves um but in terms of can I do it can I perform it almost like poetry like it's like it's um easy and graceful no, it's really difficult it's difficult every single time it's difficult in terms of simply getting the right paragraph to end something on um so I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but I do. I do yeah, really try I, not to I would just tend let to book agree. Stop. <laughs> the,
0: the thing which for me tends to be the most difficult when writing is the ending um And Jules can attest to that because the amount of times I've I've messaged her like, oh God, Jules, what do I do? (laughs) You know, and this is with me usually knowing how a story is going to end even before, you know, when I'm starting, I'll plan it out, I will know what's happening and then I will get towards it and I will actually not quite know how to put the lid on essentially (laughs) and it feels like it should be the most simple thing and it's not um so i do spend a significant amount of time working towards the ending and part of that is actually often going back right to the beginning to make the ending work um have i nailed it well i hope that people have been satisfied so far I think it's still a work in progress Um, and as with everything there are going to be some people who are not satisfied I think there has only ever been one instance where an ending came easily to me and that was actually with the Sons of Thestian where I hadn't I didn't entirely know what I was going to do with the ending when I was sort of first writing it I thought it was going to go one way and then bam! this ending came to me And I thought, that's it. That is the ending. That is what it was supposed to be all along. Um, And then that was actually kind of easy to write. (laughs) Um, But that has never happened since with anything that I've written otherwise. The ending has always been hard. I think it should be. I think it should be something that does take time for the most part and consideration. So... I mean, let us know. What do you guys think? Do you feel that we have provided satisfying endings so far? Um, What are your favorite types of endings? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? You know, please do let us know. As always, we love hearing from you. Now. Speaking of endings, uh, we are at the end of our episode and it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation, which also, weirdly enough, plays on the concept of endings. It's almost like this was planned. So, I've actually got a recommendation um, (laughs) this week, which is a uh, picture book. (laughs) Um, And I say it's a picture book. It definitely can be read by kids. It can absolutely be 100% enjoyed by adults. Um, in fact, I would say that some young kids would probably be too frightened by this. It is a picture book called The Skull by an illustrator called John Classen. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the story is entirely, but essentially it is based... Um, it's an adaptation of a traditional uh, uh, Tyrrellian folktale and what happened was john classen uh picked up a book of folktales i think while he was actually out there um read this folktale which basically involves a young girl uh finding a strange house in the forest and discovering a talking skull there and he basically read it, put the book back on the shelf, and then left. And months and months later, he was thinking about it. He got in contact with the library. He said, please, can you find this? And they said they did manage to actually find this book. They sent him the copy, and he reread it and went, that is not how I remember ending it, how, it, how I remember it ending. He had completely thought up a whole new ending for it and completely misremembered it and he actually found the ending of the of the original folk tale to be not nearly as satisfying as the ending that he had come up with instead and so he wrote his version and he illustrated it because that's what he does he's an illustrator and it is weirdly charming very gothic um, but very much worth reading it has some great humor in it as well and it's actually yeah. very sweet it is the perfect halloween companion um i know that we're obviously past halloween guys but you know the spooky season never really ends in our hearts does it uh, so i highly recommend checking it out I, it was an unexpected delight i was drawn to it just by the illustrations alone do check it out guys <laughs> it's well worth it
1: I think I know who the illustrator is. It's something else he's done that I've read that I that I liked as well.
0: Yeah, he he's very good, <laughs> and he really do. You think this the illustration looks like it's meant for children, but then <laughs> some of what's anyway, happening story, it's
1: like...
0: <laughs> <laughs> looks like it should not be <laughs> meant for children at all. Anyway, on that note, guys, we will say thank you very much for listening, and we will catch you guys next week.
1: Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye! You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast. You can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes. For more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com Please note, no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.